This is Milton Walters, and you're listening to Adapting in My Grief. I'm going to be talking to people and hear their stories regarding their experiences with grief, the loss of their loved one, the importance of the support they received, and how they've learned to adapt to a life without their loved one. Well, we're recording again down in uh, my home in southwest Victoria, courtesy of COVID. Today we've been witnessing a gale of uh, enormous proportions outside. Once again, be prepared for anything that might happen uh, in southwest Victoria. I reckon I met Richard Crawley about 25 years ago. Uh, we as a family stayed at uh, a bed and breakfast in Kalani in southwest Victoria, which was owned by Richard and his wife Carol, along with and lived there along with their son James, who was a little tacker at the time. Over the next few years, we became very good friends of Richard and Carol's. In fact, we became such good friends with them that we bought their house uh, in the early 2000s. Richard had come to Australia in 1973 from the UK and worked for Oxford University Press from 73 to about 85. But he also did a lot of freelancing photography um, and his very creative skills came to the fore, especially in the rock industry within Australia of the 70s and 80s. He took arguably what is one of the most iconic shots of Mick Jagger and probably of any uh, rock show in Australia in 1973 when the Stones were playing at Kuyong. Richard and Carol moved away from Melbourne in 1990. Carol had been brought up in <coughs> Hamilton. So they were coming back down into the old district in the early 90s. But Carol got sick with cancer in 98 the first time, got through it, and then was diagnosed again with a secondary cancer in 2008 and died on all days, September 11, 2009. Today, Richard, uh, with the help of his son James, who runs a creative agency in Sydney, I'm making a documentary about the grief and Richard's journey through it in the months, days, weeks and months after Carol died in 2009. Richard, welcome. Hi, Milton. It's Hello. very good. To, I should say it's very interesting to be sitting here in Kilcarlan, you know, uh, where Carol, <laughs> of course, lived for 15 years. You know, here we are back here, sort of gone full circle, haven't we? It's bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> you think about it like that. Yep. Well, look, let's start, as I often do with these, um, on you know, the day Carol died and mm. around that time. Mm. What, is it, what are your memories of September 11, 2009? <sighs> Pretty intense. I mean, she hadn't been well. She really hadn't. Technically, you could say she had, well, it was stage four. It was the worst sort of cancer you could possibly have had. And, you know, we'd been to Germany trying to fix her up. We'd done a lot of things. The prognosis from the experts was that even with more treatment, you know, massively invasive surgery, which would have left her grossly disfigured because it was a head and neck cancer and, you know, she would have been, in, you know, couldn't take, wouldn't be able to taste. And the best thing about that one was that there was a 5% chance for being alive five years later. So at that point, we kind of thought, well, we've got to do something about it ourselves. And so we did. And I have to say things were sort of progressing in a way, but pain was a colossal um you know the tumors were going because we could see them but the thing is pain was a massive issue and so she had to take a lot of synthetic morphine oxycontin and the problem with that one is uh well you know you get toxic actually this might be controversial to say this but if we had access to heroin it's quite likely that things would have turned out perhaps a bit differently because you mm -hmm. don't get toxic in the same way 
you can overdose, but you, you, you don't have the... Anyhow, anyhow, cut a long story short, fast forward to September the 10th, 2009, she was toxic again, and then because it was right in the middle of the bird flu outfit, you know, the, the, you know mm. that's MERS or SARS, can't remember whichever one it was, it, the Port Ferry Hospital was shut, so we had to go to Warnable. So we went to Warnable, but then things rapidly got out of control, unfortunately, because, uh, and I'm not blaming anyone, but I will say this, she went in toxic instead of, and then instead of being given, given naloxone, which she was given in Port Ferry, to bring her out, they plugged her straight into full-strength morphine and uh, ketamine. Right. And as a result of that, two hours later, she had a massive seizure. And then just three hours later, she was a goner, which was appalling because we uh, actually hadn't gone in there with one... We, we, we not for one moment thought she was going to die. I don't like the word die anymore because of the connotations because I believe we do more than just die but anyhow so although she'd been clearly unwell and enormous pain that was a massive shock to it was a huge shock we really didn't think that that it wasn't either of us thought that that was going to be where it was going yeah and why would we because and was James how old was James at the stage (laughs) well James my god James was 21 and he was there right and I'll never forget Jamie this is a really tough memory but seeing him carry her out I was too knackered to do I mean I was so weak from knackers actually for a year I hadn't slept once for more than two hours but anyhow James I remember him carrying Carol out to the car that that fateful evening when we made that trip to uh to Warnable but look you know we 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 honestly thought it was going to turn around because why wouldn't it it had before she just needed a bit of detox Mm. It didn't go that way, though, you know. And when you're in a big place, uh, you know, a big hospital, you know, and it's taken away from you, you, you just do what, go with the flow. Mm. And, and I suppose, you know, James being with you was nearly just a magnification of the shock, was it, in terms of here's the, the two of you there and you're both in disbelief that this has happened. And well, Yeah, well, for James, I mean, God, he's only 21. I mean, this this was, you know... I will say this, he's the most incredible guy. He really helped me a massive amount, you know, even at that point. You know, he was standing tall, which is, you know, where his dad was sort of in a complete mess afterwards. You know, he was, you know, really, um, in, you know, I love him incredibly because all this happened like man. you would. <laughs> he's a wonderful man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Onwards and upwards. <laughs> and I remember going up to see you that afternoon. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'd been in Port Ferry that morning and I, I ran into, um, Mark and, and Katerina. Yeah. And, uh, and I said, what's the, you know, what's the latest on Carol? And, and they said, oh, you haven't heard. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I remember yeah. them in the afternoon coming up and you opening the door and, yeah, and it was the reality of it was, was clearly obvious what had happened. Yeah, good one, Milton. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that's a, you know, it was a real blur afterwards. It's, you know, when when something as seismic as that happens, um, you, it's unbelievable, and I really mean that. I mean, you know, you, it's almost like you're in a dream because you you see it all in front of you happening, and yet it's just fucking impossible to believe it is 
happening. Actually happening. Mm. You know, you really. Well, I, but I imagine the eighteen months or so beforehand of the the care and mm. you know and and, and the sleepless nights oh, and right. you know and your and your business effectively being you know stopped. Well, yeah, it stopped I mean, because I mean, so you looked after. I mean, you're you're, in, you're working in a you're in a bubble, aren't you? In terms of yeah, sense. you are. Well, I mean, you know, you either make a decision to do something or you don't. And I definitely decided I'm going to get a better. You know, somehow um, we're going to do this. Uh, you know, and I know you tried incredibly hard as well. You know, with you, you just do what you got to do, don't you? You do what you got to do. Yeah. You know, and that's how you know. Yeah. So, how would you describe then the, the sort of the the four to six weeks? You know, after Carol died, I mean, was James able <laughs> to stay with you? Because yeah, was- well, 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 well. <laughs> okay, I mean, it was almost bizarre. I mean, you know, so two o'clock in the morning, she well, she had moved on. Uh, and so we went back to the house at Tower Hill. I remember Jane saying, Jamie, you're sl- we've got to sleep in the same bed tonight. <laughs> we really do. This is important. <laughs> you know, and, oh, and so he did, you know, yeah. for, for the next three or four nights, we just sort of slept in the same, in, 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 in the bed. And yeah, you know, it was really a question of just hanging on and trying to, make some sort of sense of what had actually happened because the thing is and this went on for years and i'm sure you experienced it i mean you know you can intellectually accept something Mm. but to emotionally come to terms with that might take years Mm. and actually it did Mm. Uh, i I don't think that's unusual either no no not at all no but uh, yeah. so James then went back to Melbourne. Well, no, not for a bit. Okay. No, no young around, which was really amazing. Right. Well, actually, initially, we we went to the grandpa. We thought, well, no, and of course, in the local community, all my friends here, and I have many, many great friends. You know, were hugely helpful, and you know, we had a great send off at the Tower Hill Cemetery, and then a, a wake thing at, in Port Ferry at the school, and the big hall there, and all that was great. <coughs> I mean, in the sense that everyone was very supportive. It was almost like a dream, as far as I was concerned. It just wasn't real. But, you know, everyone really did a lot. Uh, and then after a week, this was September, of course, you know, right? The weather we got now was appalling, <laughs> in a way. We thought we'll go camping in the Grampians. I mean, oh, why God. not? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, I'm scared to ask what sort of weather you Yeah, got. it was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> and at one point, we were, there's, you know, a tree fell down, like, you know, almost, you know, this colossal eucalypt collapsed in no. a caravan next to us. Oh, I mean, gosh. it nearly wiped us out, you know, in a tent. You know, it was quite incredible, you know, and there we were in this, you know. Yeah, but anyhow, it was actually a very good thing to do for us to have done that, to go to, uh, outside Hall's Gap and, yes. and do that camping for yes, I bet it was. about six, six, five or six <laughs> nights. And then, um, come back and then we came back and yeah well James he was at RMIT then so he was back to North Melbourne and um where he was in a share house yeah and then uh, so then I was suddenly on my your own. own which was very odd you know because you know this you know Carol wasn't there you know I hadn't got a job any longer because as a photographer all my commercial accounts had disappeared because I hadn't done them for 18 months and sure. someone else gets I mean I knew it had happened mm. so so I'd lost my wife I'd lost my job James had gone away and then the dog died and you know it was like fuck you know <laughs> this isn't great this is like like this is seriously not good 
And, now, um, you told me that you then went out uh, during this time and bought some serious broadcast equipment. Oh, yeah. To basically, which was the genesis, I presume, for the doco that you and James are working on today. Well, why, James is working on, yes. Why did you do yeah. that? Um, well, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, I've always been a photographer and, and I have shot corporate video and even, you know, music video and a bit of this and a bit of that. But anyhow, I kind of thought, uh, well, after a month after she died, I was kind of sussed enough to realize I was definitely grieving. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is, if you want to give it a word, yeah. I mean, obviously that's what it was. So, um, I thought, why don't I go and, buy a video camera, a three-chip, you know, a nice little piece of kit that will do this yep. properly, and um, make a film, perhaps, about grief from a very personal perspective. So, I mean, I've, there are lots of other great films about grief, and they're, but always sort of third person, someone sort yep. of investigating it. So I thought, why not? I've never seen anyone do what I thought I might do. Right. So I did, and so I... So I literally used to filmed yourself. Film myself, right. just talking to the camera. Right. And I will say, I mean, you know, it, it, it you know, it's, you know, I was right. You know, I nearly smashed the camera up a couple of times. It was harrowing doing it, and yet it was very good. It was also cathartic. But the idea was to do this film. Unfortunately, what actually happened in the end was I realised the footage was so strong I couldn't actually ever watch it. <laughs> I, I but, it was, but, but, but in terms of yeah. a healing for you at that time, it's yeah. a very powerful thing to do. Well, work. it's always a good thing to express your emotions, your feelings, how you are, where you are. If you, even if you just articulate them to a camera, let alone anyone else, you're actually, mm. you're getting it out. Mm. You know, you're actually, you're telling the world in a sense. Yes. Telling the universe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I've spoken to people in recent times that have, um, you know, written. Or, oh yeah, well or, that would know, do. Or, that, know, yeah, that would. You know, that, what you've done. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I mean, in, in my own case, it was writing um, oh, one, and man. and exercise. Yeah, well, um, yeah, well, that's and it was sort of you know, a way of just beginning. Yeah. But but the writing, it's interesting you say that because mm. um, I wrote probably. 15,000 words. Oh, wow. Um, and I thought, I'm going to write a whole... I can't even revisit it now. It's oh, done. it's the same thing. It's done, and I yeah. feel like I don't need to go back to that. Well, maybe you need to give this to an editor who will no, turn no, it into I don't a wonderful so. piece of... <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't think <laughs> yeah. so. I just think, probably like you, I, I don't know that I, yeah. I really want to see it again. It's sort of like... Yeah. But it was important at that time to do that. Yeah. Well, that's... I think if you're a creative sort of person or, you know, you've got... You know, you... I mean, you know, what is creativity? It's a need to try and, for me, what it is, is actually to try and explain what is almost the unexplainable, if you wish. It's mm. it's that sort of, uh, to make sense of things in a, uh, perhaps a, in an artistic way as well, but it's, it's, it's to do with, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's to do with this extraordinary thing called life and so how long have. did you what sort of period of time did you record yourself shoot that stuff yeah oh that's a good question now um gotta be a couple of years oh wow okay. yeah something like that yeah something like that i mean i you know i ended up doing a lot of odd things like going to new york within a few months and hooking up with a girl, oh, I don't know if you want a girl then, but she was a girl when I knew her, <laughs> you know. She's in, an old flame. She was an old flame. Right. Yeah. And, you know, things like that, which ended catastrophically, even though it started very nicely. But it, yeah. 
I, I don't blame her. I was off my head. <laughs> I mean, I know I was, but you know, it's an honest admission, isn't it? Yeah. I was off my head <laughs> more than usual. <laughs> Thanks, Milton. <laughs> Did you notice over the period of the time, over the two years, I mean, I mean, James probably would be a better person to ask him that you haven't revisited the footage. But No, I've the, seen the, a bit the, since. Okay, the, the, how you've transitioned along the two years in the, in the footage in terms of your journey here. You know, was it yeah, well, more no, circumspect think... and more you know, considered and maybe less emotional or not? Oh, no, nah, most of that two years was pretty flat out. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I guess in the end things did, after 18 months or so, start. what happened was I kind of had a realisation, uh, this is what was hugely important, that Carol was now okay where she was. Right. Or where she is. Yes. And I absolutely believe this, you know, there's, as I said before, did I, that we never die. And so, you know, her perception of w- what things is, is 100%. It's like magical and beautiful. I think that's what happens the moment we... That's why I don't like the word die, because yes. the connotations, once we change dimension... I, th- I don't want to get overly scare everyone off out there in radio <laughs> land. I don't want to be overly <laughs> philosophical, but I think that's true, that the day and we so die, that, it's a new beginning, and not so that, an end. That, that really helped you sort of like, yeah. like kickstart into, I'm feeling better. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, no, it was... The fact that I knew she was, I just knew, and I know that she's okay, mm. was just a relief beyond. Mm. She was in a land, the land of the absolute, as opposed well, to the well, land of the relative where well, we are. It was, it was very interesting, Richard, <laughs> that um, Emma and Steve Watty, who I uh, interviewed just recently. Yeah, which I've heard quite a lot yeah, of. And, and Emma Watty said that... Uh, mm when she met with the Carmelites, uh, oh. the nuns, and, you know, and right. she felt, you know, this, she was so concerned about, or worried and anxious about how the hell she was going to move forward with her life <coughs> and how they were going to exist. And she met the nuns and she wasn't religious. She said, but at that moment, yeah. on a spiritual level, I just knew we were going to be okay and I knew that Sylvie was okay. Oh, that's not great. Yeah. And same, so, same sort of thing. Same yeah. thing. So it was, um, so mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, it's, it's just that, that power, I suppose, of, um, that belief and faith that actually can take things without being religious or anything, really. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I'm not. I certainly don't go to church or anything. You know, it's like, no, I think being religious is one thing, but having your own spiritual convictions is another. Now, you've always been a man of high energy. There's no doubt about that. Um, <laughs> certainly bit. from the you know, um, the creative photography days of the rock Stuff and, and I'm wondering whether it's any you know um, coincidence that that iconic shot of Jagger yeah. uh, then sort of morphed into Richard Crawley doing a lot of Jagger and Rolling Stones and music. So when did the I mean you became this mm. uh, you know you, you fell in love with performing and formed a band and all mm. and you know you're the only person that I think I've ever heard say to me in my life Milton when I when you told me about the band and after I'd seen you play the first time I think you made the the, the, the call and you said. I will be the only person you've ever known that's played at the Kirkstall Hotel and Madison Square Garden. <laughs> well, I do have aspirations. But, uh, yeah, I have to say, it's the former first at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> the good old Kirky. Um, yeah. And so when did that start? Yeah. When did the music well, start? Well, it probably started because um, photography 
and you know I, I was sort of on the art side of photography as well as the commercial side and especially with the art side you know you tend to be it's very solo mm. you know you might be shooting landscapes even you're by yourself you're then back in the dark room and I do still shoot film well I would if I did it again you know actually you know but you know rather than Photoshop but the point is that it, you know you're there by yourself and then if I had been making a, a whole series of of prints I would have then the first thing I would have done would take them out of the dark from a show Carol. Mm. Yeah, well, that was a big disincentive um, to... I just... There was something about it that I, I just knew I... It was best for me not to be... And then suddenly I'm living at, you know, Tower Hill all by myself on six acres by myself. And, mm. like, I'm not a natural hermit, mm. but I'm living by myself, mm. you know. And so it was like, what am I going to do about this? You know, this photography just doesn't seem to be right at the moment. Mm. And then the idea of music just came into my mind. In fact, on my 62nd birthday, actually I'm 70 in a few months. It's hard to believe. Mm. I'm 70 in in a few months. But anyhow, I I, I friggin' woke up on my 62nd birthday and I sat up in bed and I said to myself, I said, I know what I want to do. I want to sing in a band. (laughs) So I put my mind to it and then one thing led to another. Yeah, I'm tipping you might be in the minority of 62-year-olds who wake up on their birthday and think that, actually. Yeah, what would be a rock um, star, man? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, why not? But what did, what, but what, did, what, what has... You, you know, do the, create your own reality well, in this world, true. you see. That's so, but what, is the, what has the music delivered to, to Richard Crawley? Oh, right? a great deal. I mean, you know, it's been... That's the thing, you see. You know, a band is a collection of people. You're rehearsing with people, you're playing gigs hopefully and we did in it we certainly do you know in the front of audiences it's a very collaborative it's a very um sort of social thing and uh, and that's not the case with photography it's not like i've sort of made a decision yeah i'm never going to take photos again it's just that music well, of course we haven't done much music in the last few months have we that's been a, a real but the music was the new the new way for you to it was yeah, yeah. yeah. no it yeah. seriously was yeah. yeah fun thing and I always have liked singing. Hmm. You know, like in India, laughing is a therapy. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. I think singing is too. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. there's so many that do it under the shower, don't they? In oh, terms of starting cute. the day, you know. Yeah. So, it's, so that's quite right. Um, yeah. Well, that, that, I mean, that's um, you know, when, when you think of that, do you think that that it, it sort of signified though? You know, that it was a new beginning in, in a lot of ways for you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it it was. It it, it didn't happen overnight. You yeah. know, I had to build a studio. Sure. I had to. I didn't know anyone who yeah. did any music really. Yeah, you know, it was kind of like uh, I had the odd connection because of photography mm. with people in bands. Mm. You know, even here around, yes. around this area, and so that was a useful start. And um, but yeah, it takes a bit of balls just to say go up to people like Barry Galbraith. You know. <laughs> His brother, you know, arguably the best rhythm section, one of the best, you know, around and you know in the Western District. And say, hey, you want to put a band together? And, um, and they say, sorry, who are you? <laughs> no, they surprisingly said yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but look, no, I had to, you know, and I'm not the greatest vocalist, but I'm a good showman, and that's well, very I, I can certainly vouch for you. Certainly have a good time. I, I have a really good time. Yeah. I mean, one one of the things, you know, and it's so good to hear, you know, how you you know move forward. It's not like it was yesterday. It's taken a while. It has yeah, taken a few yeah, years to, sure. to be able to do that. Mm. How do you and and James, you know, when you you, you think about, I mean, it's a different journey, isn't it? For well, a, that's why he's making this film, which yeah. is t- technically called at the moment 
finding Richard because he says he knows about 10 versions of his dad. Yeah. And uh, yeah, James is my best friend as yeah. well as being my son. He's the most amazing guy I think I've said before. But I do, um, I've said to him, you know, because I gave him 130 hours of footage. Right. You know, it wasn't just 30 hours of what I'd shot after Carol died. It was another 100 hours. I mean, I filmed him being born. Right. <laughs> so I kind of did a lot. And then I gave the whole lot to him and just said, oh, I'll just have a look at this. And James, being a creative guy himself, just, um, and I had no idea he was going to do this, but he ends up starting making this film. Yes. Which is certainly about grief as well as anything else. Yes. But it's, it's about the whole story of, of, it's actually about him too, in a sense, because, you know, it's, it's, it's all about exploration. And as I say, I think art is really about trying to express the inexpressible the incomprehensible it's those questions that you can never really get your head round mm. it's to do with that stuff without going too deep mm. no no I, I hear yeah. it's um, mm. it, it's it's a wonderful expression really in terms of you know undertaking that yeah um, when you mm. over the years I mean I, I'm thinking um, you know from your own experience and, and I I know what you were like when um, you know Bernadette died towards me and my family what have you mm. um you know, how did you find, you know, the community, you know, with you, you know, over the yes. journey? You said, I mean, and, and most people sort of are great yeah. for a while and then they, it's yeah. sort of, it's, well, it's, it's really so challenging. Well, I mean, it? it's really interesting. A lot of people say, um, you, you know, I can't imagine what you've been through. You know, they literally say that. And, 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 and the truth I is, say, no, you can't. <laughs> That's right. The other great one is that people always say, just I don't divert but this is a good one they often you know and people mean it with the best will in the world they say it's anything i can do for you yeah. you know so, you know and they mean it you know yeah. but you know this went on and on for a bit you know so i had a good idea so i sort of thought, thought well why don't i just say oh that's very kind of you know what the kitchen needs painting <laughs> or um uh actually a bit short on five thousand dollars and um, and that's probably why <laughs> And maybe, Richard, that's yeah. why you didn't see me very often, yeah. I think. That's a joke. That <laughs> I don't think Sorry. I came up to your place for a while, Richard. Maybe you said, Sorry. can you reinstall my vegetable patch? I sort of lost interest. Um, <laughs> Sorry. But, um, yeah. I mean, what yeah. sort of when you... Yeah, well, it's a serious question. I'm sorry. Yeah. And no, I know what right. you're on about. I, I think I think what you're on about, and I, I think this is true too, is that because no one understands and can possibly understand what grief is unless they go through it, uh, you know, um, it, it means that, you know, you've, um, well, they don't understand it. And, but, but people do understand it in the sense they're incredibly supportive. Yes. Certainly initially. Yes. But what then tends to happen is that, and I know you've experienced this, you get to a certain point, often about a month, <laughs> and then it's almost as if, um, well, in a sense, you're kind of expected to be okay. Yes. Uh, How could you possibly be? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the, that, that's the bit that's impossible to understand for most people. And I don't blame them. No. You know? I mean, it's just the way it is. It's, 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 it's that whole thing of, well, I know she's died, but how can she possibly have, and you know, anger comes into it and you know, that every emotion in the entire world hits you from, Everything from, you know, self-doubt, self-blame, guilt, you know, the whole gamut, anger, rage. 
everything. And, um, you know, you go through all of this. Um, but it doesn't end like that. It's not, I'll tell you what it is. Grief is a journey and it, it's, there's no such thing as closure mm. ever. It's, but that's not a bad thing. It's like, it's not that I will grieve over Carol forever. It's not, it, that's not, no, you come to terms with it. Yes. That's what happens. Mm. And you move on. And, and now, now I have another girlfriend, which is awesome. You know, but the point is that it, 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 it doesn't happen like that. And you, you never, it's not like grief goes from A to B and then no. it finishes. And a it's lot very, of people think that's what happens, but it doesn't. It's just not a linear thing, isn't it? No. In that regard. No, no, it doesn't stop. When you, I mean, Even if you come to terms with it. I mean, when you think of, um, you know, what advice would you, you know, give to somebody that, you know, in terms of their grieving or those in and around somebody who's yeah. grieving? Yeah. Well, firstly, hang in there. It's best to do that. Some people don't. Uh, you know, they, they get, and there's countless... Um, examples of one partner dying and then very shortly afterwards the other partner dying but I mean uh, and sometimes tragically but I think the first thing is you do have to not forget who you are mm. I think with a lot of I mean in grief in a sense you could almost call it a mental illness I mean you know I mean <laughs> I mean, it's well, a statistic. It, it, I mean, there's research that actually says that a lot of mental health issues are actually, um, yeah. you know, as a result of uh, unresolved grief. Oh, I bet. Mm. I totally bet that. I can see that's true. But I think you have to, be, as I said, not forget who you are, hang in there, and then know that, because you know, I have had other tough times in my life. You know, the thing is that, you know, you do eventually resolve things. Mm. I think. I think there's no question that you do, mm. but time is what you need, even if time, God, this is going to sound weird. I don't think time really exists. <laughs> You're right, sense. it does sound weird. But we won't go any further with that one. <laughs> if that was the case, Richard, we wouldn't have to finish this podcast. Would you know, uh, his whole uh, life flashed <laughs> in front of him in a moment. What's so <laughs> fucking mean? <laughs> it's like, you know. So, I mean, as we draw to the, the end of this, I've got to ask you, who's yeah. Richard Crawley today? Oh. Who, who is the man today? Watch the film. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I do know. I do know who I am. Um, and I think one, what, what is true that, uh, is that you do, uh, that's one of the great things about living a long time. You know, you do, you do learn things and you, uh, understand more. You're never going to know everything. It's impossible. And if you did, that's a joke. It wouldn't be worth being alive. <laughs> but that, the thing about this is that you do come to terms and I think understand where you are within this world and what you can do while you are in this world. Mm. And this world is extraordinary. This life, this unbelievable thing called life, which is worth living well, and celebrating to its fullest. You know, you do come round to that again. Well, mate, you are someone, though, that you know, mm. clearly has chosen life. You yeah, know, uh, yeah, you are very positive. You are um, always putting yourself out there. Um, when do you think we'll get to see this documentary? <laughs> well, I hope it happens. It may never happen. I mean, you know, they take these things take years to put together. But um, if Finding Richard ever makes it to the silver screen, or big or small, <laughs> I'll let you know. But I, I, I think, I think it might. Um, I think it might. But it's, it's. Um, 
I, you know, we'll have to ask James about that one. But I, I, I just feel blessed that I knew Carol for 30 years uh, and that, you know, we had an extraordinary time. And uh, that's the other thing. I don't blame her at all. You know, I really don't. You know, I mean, of course, I was angry. You know, how can you friggin' die and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, the reality is, you know, she did everything right. Mm. And I say that again, I don't want to be over the top here, but I kind of say that in the sense that I think we come here hundreds of times. Well, if you're going to be here hundreds of, literally, I think we do. We have the choice to, when we're not here, to come back or not. I think we do come back. And the thing is, if you're going to come back hundreds of times, and I think literally that happens, well, some of the time you're going to be extremely well. Mm. You're going to be incredibly, other times you're not going to be well. I read somewhere in a book by uh, Dr. Lucy Hone, who's a psychologist oh, yeah. of New Zealand. She wrote this book called Resilient Grieving. And I think one of the things I took away from that book is that about this life, shit happens. And, <laughs> shit and, happens. And, and, and we actually do know that, Richard, that shit happens. Yeah. So, mate, I just want to say thank you very much for uh, being a guest today. Um, I've enjoyed our friendship immensely over the 25 years and we'll continue continue. to do so and it is wonderful we are in this house today so it uh, is (laughs) many thanks for being uh, on adapting in my grief thanks so much milton i'm milton walters and you've been listening to adapting in my grief one of the goals of this podcast is to talk about how we deal with grief in the workplace and how we can possibly do it better. So head over to our website, adapting.com.au, to learn more or indeed share a story or an insight that you might have that you think could be of value to this end. During the conversations throughout the series, if there are any triggers that cause you concern, anxiety, or make you feel in any way uncomfortable, please seek professional assistance through some of the many great organisations providing invaluable mental health support and services, for example, Beyond Blue and Lifeline, to name just a few. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please feel free to rate and review it and also to subscribe to it. This podcast is produced by Neely Media in Melbourne. Additional sound engineering by I Explain IT in Port Ferry. And the music is by Sophia Whitney. Adapting in my grief.